Podcast. This is Chris Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you for yet another podcasting hour of greatness here on YouTube, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, etc., where all good podcasts are sold. This week, I have two guests I am welcoming, which is kind of rare. Usually, it's one-on-one on this channel, but this week, I have two filmmakers. And uh, y'all know I'm a bit of a cinephile. I do love movies, and I love documentaries. And in this case, these are a couple of documentarians. Now, this is Kurt Jaimungal and Desh Amilla. I hope I didn't butcher those names. And uh, Kurt there is the writer-director of a film that is that they are now promoting called Better Left Unsaid. And uh, Desh is the producer. Yeah? Correct. Great. So welcome to my show, guys. Well, yeah, I'm great glad to be, to be here. Thank All right. You. So let's go ahead and talk about your film. Um, first off, uh, how are people, because I want to get this out right away, so in case people see this interview and then immediately want to go see it. First off, where do they find your film? Because you guys had to send me a link to it, and I've watched it a couple of times, and I thought it was quite good. So I, I do want people to watch it. Um, well, uh, the best way to watch it is go to betterleftunsaidfilm.com. Um, it will be available um, late March uh, this year. And it will also be available on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Amazon Prime. Um, and if you want to, after this conversation, if you feel as you want to actually watch uh, more than what's given to you, which is you have a 90-minute version and you have a director's cut, which is two hours. That'll be exclusively available from our website, betterleftunsaidfilm.com. Great. Okay, good. So there you go, folks. So that's how to find it. Check it out. So that being gotten out of the way, this film is about extremism on the left, mainly. That's what his focus is on. Uh, it talks about extremism on the right and tends to sort of kind of say it's rather simplistic, uh, which I wasn't totally sure about, but that's not really the subject of the conversation today because you mainly concentrate on the left. And I have found good cause for concern on both ends of the political spectrum. And in fact, my background in study, you know, I find uh, both ends of any spectrum kind of difficult because those are the extreme ends. And that's where things are get very black and white. That's where things get very us versus them. That's where it's our way or the highway. That's what. Ex- that's how I sort of see ex- the the word what the word extremism means or how it how it's manifested in the real world. But the first thing I wanted to ask you is in talking about the extreme left, how do you separate the extreme left from the left overall? Because there are people who use very sloppy language with this. And uh, we'll paint everybody on the left with the, with the tar brush of, of awful, when in fact it is a subset of people who are actually being extreme and difficult. I, I don't know. So I wanted to get, what, what, are your, what are your views on that? I'll take that one, Desh, if you don't mind. Go for it. There is a salutary place for the left, and there's a salutary place for the right. I try to make that delineation in the film itself around the midway point a little bit later is where I give concrete bullet points. Hold on. I'm just changing my view because 
right now is just dash. I had it on speaker view. It says it's just dash right now. Just, just and I want to see everyone. Okay, not, not that there's anything wrong with dash. Okay, right. So there's something salubrious about both the left and the right. It's just that in their extremes, it goes off the rail. That's almost the definition of extreme. That's the crux of the film. That's pretty much what we're trying to say is what makes it extreme. So to put it down to a sentence is extremely difficult. Even an hour and a half, I feel like is not enough. Maybe it should have been a five-hour movie or, mm -hmm. or a whole series. But I did at some point in the film give four bullet points mm -hmm. as to here's what I think characterizes the extreme left and the extreme right. So if people want to know, they have to watch the film. I don't want to give that away. It's almost like a climax of the film. Fair enough. Okay, fair enough. Well, I wanted to diff I wanted to sort of put that out there at the beginning because I wanted to people to kind I want to kind of get in a in a summary form, you know, I mean because there is you are a precise person. You have a math physics background which I really appreciate. Um, and therefore the language that you choose to use is is purposeful. That's a good thing. Um but it is still important to clarify ourselves kind of from the get-go so people understand where we're coming from. Where would you say you are politically? And would you say that, that, that your personal views influenced how you wrote and put together the film? I would characterize myself as apolitical. I'm neither left nor right. I see there's something nourishing in both. I see there's something rotten in the extremes as well. I would say that, yes, my personal views color the film because I don't know how one can make any piece of anything without their own points of views coming across. I try to eliminate it and change it as best I can. It's one of the reasons why the film is a, it's not so much a film that tries to convince you of a particular point of view, but shows you here is my thinking and here are the, here's my reflections. Here are my questions. Here are the thoughts that occurred to me when I was researching the film at this point, and then I lay it out. Cool. Uh, for me, I am, I consider myself political center left um, and very similar to Kurt. Yes, my political beliefs did help shape the film. Um, and I want to make this point clear. Kurt and I disagree on many things. I normally say, you know, we agree on about 80% and we disagree about 20%. Um, we wanted to make it a point that although we have disagreement with regards to ideas that we ascribe to or we believe, we first appeal to our common humanity um, to uh, make the film. Uh, there's this new form of belief that is prevalent, which is that, you know, you cannot, you should not work with people you have disagreement with. And that is, it, it is a new phenomenon. Uh, there was a, uh, the idea that one should not speak to a conservative. Um, I, I used to believe those kind of uh, things. Um, but in this film, we are in disagreement about many things. And we're not, again, trying to tell anyone 
to believe one way or the other. We are providing a lot of information for people to take whatever speaks to you and then think it through. Um, and you're going to disagree. You know, some of you might disagree on certain parts of it, and that's okay. That is by design, because I disagree with certain parts of the movie, and that's fine. Well, exactly. I mean, overall, you have a message, and you have a you have a theme that runs through this thing. And in fact, I I thought this quote from fairly early on, and I and I failed to write down the the, the English uh, I think professor who who said this. So it's hard to understand what the anti-West left is trying to achieve other than an extreme version of collective authoritarian control. I thought that was a good observation, and it's the thing that I sort of rail against when it comes to extremism in any form. Authoritarian control. I've lived under authoritarian control systems. I know exactly what that feels like. And I mean, I like physical abuse, mental abuse, all of it. I have experienced all of that. So I don't want that for everybody. I want the exact opposite of that for everybody. And I know that, and, and, and so I know what it looks like, and I know uh, what it sounds like. And, and it's not on day one of exposure to a radical extreme agenda. You're not hearing all of the violent extremist rhetoric. You're, you know, if, if it's done right, you're hearing things you can agree with. You're hearing things that make sense, that are rational and logical to you. And you begin a path you begin walking a path towards extremism the more you go into this belief set, whatever the belief set is. I'm not just talking about the left. Um, but with the left, I think that the, the, the invitations or the, uh, the thing that the appeal of it is, from a certain point of view, certainly from mine, is that it appears that there is an alliance with or a push towards human rights. We only want human rights for everybody. We only want everybody to be considered equal. We only want everybody to be on the same level playing field. What's the problem? But then it pushes it into this extreme version of collective authoritarian control. What did you find in your research and in discussing, and I know the film's all about this, but I'm kind of curious besides what's just in the film or what you've seen since or before or whatever, how do you think this has been happening uh, do you think that films like yours, work I do, other people, other podcasters, other people stepping up talking about this, do you think it could change it? Do you think we can pull some people back from this extreme end? I think it's already happening. Um, the Trump presidency showed the world um, this facade of American exceptionalism, you know, America is in a strong democracy, you know, cannot be shaken. Uh, you know, the idea of American democracy uh, versus what really happened uh, during that presidency, which, you know, just like you've seen the rise of the far right extremism, mm -hmm. you saw a considerable rise in the far left extremism. Um, so, Lots of people got vocal on the back of it. Um, some people thought people were overreacting, but history will write that those people who overreacted actually got it right. And uh, you know, I don't think it's over yet. 
America is not out of the weeds. And this is not a uniquely an American problem. This is actually happening all around uh, the Western civilization. Um, and, but the good news is there are a lot of people who can see through this and speaking out. Um, our film is not the only one that's speaking about this, um, but we are taking a slightly different approach. But I think no, I, I am a you know optimist, um, a rational optimist, as I like to call it. Um, I do see the more people speak about it, it is it will get better. But in no way we are out of the weeds, um, and I think podcasts like yours. Films like ours, um, you know, articles by uh, you know, people like John McWhorter's, uh, Peter Bogatian's, Helen Puckrose, and um, Coleman Hughes's take us more towards just questioning uh, popular narratives will all help. Um, and I think. This is this again. The, the the other thing that's that's super important is this didn't happen. I know I mentioned you know the Trump presidency, it, it, that didn't just happen in a vacuum. You know, right. a lot had to happen way before that for it to come to that point. And uh, so, getting out of this is also not going to happen in a in a short time period. Right. And we will have to be doing this for a little while before this gets to a point where we feel as okay we may be out of the woods now yeah i i completely agree with you about that um it's not so dissimilar to how it works at an individual level i suppose you could say as opposed to the macro level where it doesn't take a day to make a radical extremist it, it takes weeks months even years and the idea that you're going to have a one-off one-and-done conversation which seems to be this weird idea right now. Oh, how do we deprogram all these people? How do we do it? How do we do it? Uh, <laughs> well, you got a month or two, right? I mean, it's not a, it's not something you can just con, you know uh, condense into an hour long conversation and you you know produce fact A and fact B and oh my God, they just everything changes. Doesn't quite work that way because of the emotional investment. Um, you mentioned a disparity, uh, a, a, what one could call a hypocrisy, uh, during the course of, of talking about what leftist activists do, where they will highlight and really go to town on examples of microaggressions, sexism, racism, et cetera, here in the United States, Western cultures, for example, um, Oh, by the way, I want to let you know, I'm currently doing a master's program through a UK university in psychology. So you're not, you are completely right that these things are definitely not just in the United States. We see influences of this in my university study right now that I'm doing in 2021. So it's, so I will definitely attest to that fact that this is not just a United States problem. But this disparity point you point out that they are, you know, talking about all these things that happen in this in a very inflated, exaggerated way, I believe. I think some of the um, problems and, and issues that people run into are extremely real, but I think they get um, watered down when 
so-called microaggressions and things that are taken out of context and, you know, just just the minor disagreements and problems of life that you have with people, misunderstandings, et cetera, are turned into this very overtly aggressive, how dare you do that kind of thing. Yet we don't see that same level of concern for the kind of abuse and oppression that occurs, say, in the Middle East with feminists or uh, China, the Uyghurs. I mean, there's a lot of groups and areas we can point to on this planet where there are extreme versions of oppression that don't, that don't compare in any way to what goes on in the United States. But nobody will talk about those things because they're too busy with the microaggressions. And I'm curious, what you know, you had your take on it in the film. I think you elaborate on that a little bit here. And I'm wondering why, what do you think from your study of this, because you've done deeper dives on it than I have, why is that? Why do you think that it's all here, but over there doesn't really matter? It seems like when they say that we care about let's say, human rights or indigenous lives or whatever it may be, that it's a mask for acrimony toward the West. And so as soon as you have something that's pro-West and you demonstrate, let's say you were able to conclusively demonstrate that the West has done the most out of any other region of the world, historically, spatially, to overcome the injustices of the past and and make themselves less racist, whatever it may be mm-hmm. that the extreme left claims to want, you demonstrate that they're not willing to concede that because they distrust their father and they want someone else. Well, I it's difficult to say What's the cause? I talked about this before on another podcast where as soon as someone gives a causal explanation, causation is such a tricky, tricky, tricky thing to pin down Mm -hmm. that as soon as one says that the cause of some phenomenon is this other phenomenon, that tells me more about their psychology rather than what's going on mechanically because there are myriad, myriad implication arrows into that one phenomenon. So how can you say that it's this that caused that? you have to do it. It's extremely, extremely, extremely difficult. I know. So what know. is the cause? Well, one cause, Jung had, Jung has a great, you know, you're doing a, a master's in psychology. So perhaps you've come across this quote that people will do anything, no matter how absurd it seems in order to not face their own soul. So perhaps, hopefully what this documentary can do is is to encourage people to not point the finger even against the crazy leftist, radical leftists, because that's that there are going to be a portion of our audience that are looking to the film to justify their current beliefs about the extreme left, because it's like, oh, this is a film that denounces the extreme left. I love it. Well, think about how you're wrong and how they're right. And that's tricky. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I'd like to add uh, a, a point or two. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things, and 
I have this perspective because of where I come from. I was born into a country of civil war. Uh, I lived in Sri Lanka uh, for 19 years of my life. Civil, we had a civil war for 28 years. Um, so I have a perspective living through a war. Uh, now, in retrospect, I look back at it. Um, one thing, this is actually uh, one of the reasons why, one of the reasons why the, the rise of anti-vaccination movement is uh, you can draw a certain parallel here is, is how successful vaccination has been and how normalized it has become because it's part and parcel of you know, life. People in the West, most people have never seen uh, a kid with polio. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's never been a problem. So then you, you relegate against the system, et cetera. Um, in the West, life has, actually all over the world, human life has gradually gotten better. You know, what is defined as abject poverty, the numbers are changing. You know, yes, there is some disparity. There is actually very clear income uh, you know, uh, inequality that exists. Not trying to take any of that away. I'm not trying to take away racism, but you know, people can't really say say with a straight face racism faced a hundred years ago by an African American versus a racism facing today's majority of African American people. It's the same. Right. I know some people would like to paint that narrative, but. There isn't a single data point that will really validate that. And I'm not trying to take away individual suffering that people may have gone through. Um, and because of this lack of suffering, we all have a need. Lots of people have this need to do good. Right? Uh, and generally, because of uh, the philosophical underpinnings of the left, there is this need to progress, stand up for minority rights, and help overall people. It's part and parcel of uh, you know certain underpinning philosophies. So people seem to create a, a no, almost non-existing oppressive system to fight against, because. For the narrative to work, you need a bad guy. This this idea of pure evil, which is is, is not a reality, but it is created. Right? Let, 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 let's take, for example, um, sort of the BLM movement. There's a political movement, and there, I think there's a philosophical movement. There's 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 a difference. There's but, different parts of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about the 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 movement that is you know to founders with you know, Marxist uh, uh, ideologies mm. who would say, when they say defund police, they literally mean it. Mm-hmm. You know, there is, it's not about giving money to um, uh, you know, social workers. And, you know, they mean defund the police, right. a literal meaning of the word. But that is in direct contradiction of 81% of African-Americans actually want either the same or more police in their neighborhoods, right? right? But the previous, the narrative I've mentioned, defunded police comes on the back of a story about pure evil, right? where the system 
here's the evidence, here's the system killing a person, but presented as here's the system, kill, here's, here's one police officer killing one person, but now let's flip it. Here is the entire system killing all of us. Right. You create this narrative, then now you're no longer fighting against one thing. Now that's fighting against the system is coming up. And part of that, you know, some, for some people, um, you know, the idea of being a victim gives them um, some social credential almost. Yeah, they want to talk about, you know, I, it's, I, even in sort of you know, conversations I've had, you know, when people play this, um, oppression Olympics, it frustrated me to no end. I know? literally wrote down in my notes the Grievance Olympics. I was going to bring that up right. in a bit, that you're, you're yeah. exactly on that point. Right. That's right. You know, um, I, uh, it, it doesn't, uh, and I, I, I've had this you know, argument more than once, and I've told people, if, you ha- if, if we play that game, I will win, but I don't want to play that game. Right. You know, because of my life experiences, uh, you know, that, but to, the, to your original question is once you create the narrative of a victim and you're fighting against, um, that's what's leading most of sort of what's happening around American universities. And you know, this is all inspired by a certain ideology, right? So I think it is this idea, you need to fight against something. doesn't matter how small it is, you will blow it out of proportion. Then now you have the evil to fight against. And why is it that you think, and this is for both of you because you both researched this, and this is something I'm, I am been curious about for a very long time. Why does the bad guy have to be the West? There are so many sub-bad guys that could have been chosen along the way that were true bad guys. But instead, we have to make it all about the whole system. Now, I, I understand postmodernism and modernism and, the, and the, the, the way you laid it out in the film, I was very familiar with. So, this is, so, the, so I'm not asking about that. But, well, but except for, is it part of the postmodern philosophy that the West should be torn down? Is that actually inherent in that? Because I didn't get that in my study of postmodernism as such. But somehow that seems to have gotten entered into this, that the bad guy is the same structure. This is the self-destructive mode of this that I, that I want to ask you about, is it's the same structure that is providing the rights to protest, to, to speak your mind, to write what you want, to say what you want, where you want. Those are rights afforded to you by the West, by Western systems. You don't have those rights in China. You don't have those rights in Russia. And yet we're the bad guys. And so I keep wondering, where does that come from? You got an answer for me on that one? Let's tackle this by part. Postmodernism isn't Marxist as much as people think it is because postmodernism is a rejection of all grand narratives, Mm -hmm. technically. Mm -hmm. Now, what's happened, this is where I try to make, this may be a small contribution of the film, I try to demarcate what Peterson conflates. So Peterson says postmodern neo-Marxist, whereas I say postmodern inspired fields because they're technically not postmodern neo-Marxist. They're inspired by them. And what they've done is they've taken the justification that all truths and all claims are driven by power and they've used that. So that it's like they've, they've hobbled together a, 
a piece of clothing, but from different brands and they've picked and chosen what they've wanted. Perhaps in order to, perhaps in order to justify disliking the West. Now, why would they dislike the West now to get, you know, Petersonian on this one might say it's something like Cain and Abel, which is that you see the success of others and then you have to point the finger somewhere. Now you can point it to yourself or you can point it to the world. What you saw as a reason for the people on the extreme left to not believe what they believe, that is look at the rights afforded to you by the West and the luxuries of the West actually works against them. Because if you see yourself as a failure, if you see yourself as not achieving what you think you should or not being as good as you think you should be or not having what other people have, even though you have so much opportunity, well, what's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. So you can look to yourself. Dash is right. There has to be an enemy. I would say the enemy has to be the self in the sense that now this is like, well, I would say that the enemy is other people, but it's also yourself. And the more that you remedy your own maliciousness inside, the more you do so by example to others. And you can see the reverse of this, where if you're callous and hateful and invidious, that replicates and, it, and it's not good for your family, it's not good for you, and it spreads and it spreads and it spreads. So the opposite can have a dampening effect or maybe even a reverse effect. But it's painful, it's painful, it's painful, it's painful to look at yourself. It's, it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Mm-mm. So the finger has to be pointed somewhere. Interesting. Uh, let me add. Mm-hmm. Let me add a couple of things. Um, mm-hmm. uh, like many things um, that the left um, doesn't want to talk about. I mean, you you spoke about um, left's reluctance to talk about the Uyghurs or what's happening in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. I tackled this in my last movie, Islam and the Future of Tolerance, um, and I actually. Uh, got into a lot of trouble asking, um, uh, actually, I'm going to name, Roxanne Gay, a very popular um, um, feminist, um, does feminists in the West have a responsibility to talk more um, about the oppression women face in countries that have a clear uh, Sharia-driven legal system. Um, and whew, that didn't go down well. Uh, I, <laughs> really? you know, again, it, it, I think it's, it's <laughs> you wouldn't have guessed, right? So the, 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 the point is, you know, it, it, the point is um, the left has a compulsion to protect the small guy. Um, and there's a misunderstanding of protecting one's human rights versus protecting any atrocity or anything that that, that, that that small community may have done because you're worried you're going to give credence to the far right to uh, you know eliminate those people you know, it, there's no middle ground it's a, we, we don't we don't go there it's you know we, we all know that's not a rational way to approach um, so the reason I'm mentioning this is, with regards to political extremism and why there is a political left has this uh, 
a negative view, making the West the bad guy, one has to admit it is grounded in some truth because uh, you know, colon- the West uh, has a colonial history. Now, it is not exclusive to the West. I mean, this is where it becomes, you know, where the narrative is, you know, colonial West is, is it's, a, it's, a, it's a great, I mean, this is, Kurt mentions it, the political far left is fantastic with rhetoric and getting words to uh, the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Colonial West sounds like it's an original thing that the West exclusively did. You just need to look at history. It's, it's, it's not the case. They're, but the point is, because of the atrocities caused during the uh, uh, West when it was colonizing countries, um, it does give people credence to challenge. Now, you guys do all this, and this is why we are still like this. There is a kernel of truth to some of that. You know, it is not entirely true, just like it's not an entire lie. So there is, and then the advent of internet and social media has popularized um, being against the Western American hegemony, quite especially because America played World Cup for a long time and American foreign policy, there are catastrophic failures, Yes, right? It again gives credence to this idea, you know, this is the colonial mindset. It's, America is very easy to make the bad guy. The West is actually quite easy to be turned into the bad guy because it has its own failures, you know. And it's it, it's a bit of a paradox, but it then provides you with the freedoms for you to do as you suggested. Like, you know, when people, uh, yes, I think Donald Trump is, as you point out, malignant narcissist, terrible for America, but... When people were comparing him to Hitler, I found that to be, okay, you're missing the point. How can he be Hitler and have, at the same time, iTunes has the number one track is fuck Donald Trump. Right. Like, it wouldn't happen. That's that's not how this works, right? You know, the same goes to people who are saying Joe Biden is Stalin. Like, it's not the case. Right. right? But my, my point, I like to reiterate, is the West because of its freedoms doesn't help itself uh you know it's the paradox you know it's easy to make the bad guy and and west also is is so good at its pr like american films i mean i can see you you love your film right the marvel universe uh you know it's the bad guy is generally quite black and white yes you know like darth vader Yes, there are some philosophical complexities, but just just the, uh, the simplest view of it is it's just, it's dark and, you know, he just wants to kill everything. And it's very, it's a, in a simplified version of a good, a good and bad. And the whole world sees it that way. And people who want to, uh, who has a ulterior political motive uses that naive explanation of, and, and you know, that's why when, when the thing ISIS did best um, and Al-Qaeda um, and most of those radical uh, uh, organizations did was to pit Islam or Muslims against the West. You know, and, and then that narrative, they had enough evidence to showcase that narrative using the same techniques of storytelling, yep. good versus bad. Yep. So 
Yeah. And that's and that's that's right. And that's the the themes or uh, what does Peterson call them? The uh, archetypes. Yes, the archetypes. That's it. Yeah, the stories, the narratives. That's it's right. It's a Jungian term, but yeah. Yeah, it's, it's right from Jung. It's one of the um, it's one of the few philosophical things I I see eye to eye with with Peterson on. But I think the way he explains it is overly complicated. Um, now, <laughs> I tend to agree. Yeah, he's, he's he definitely uses a twenty dollar word where a five five dollar word would have worked. Um, Okay, now there's another claim that you make that I wanted to get you guys to speak to in the film because I thought it was smart and I wanted to bring it up. Um, words are violence. You make an argument that the words are violence idea is 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 crafty because it uh, is used to lead down a path of fallacious thinking that this therefore justifies real world violence. If words are violence ideas are violence, you have mm -hmm. now committed violence against me, I am therefore justified in bringing a baseball bat to, you know, my protest. And I have had personal interchanges, exchanges with Antifa folks uh, going to these protests, talking about how preemptive violence is the only solution to neo-Nazis or right-wing alt-right extremists, is you have to throw the rocks first. You've got to hit them over the head because they're guaranteed to come and kill you. So you are completely justified in taking them out first. And that's where the whole, you know, punch a Nazi thing a couple of years ago and all that was, was really very uh, popular. So my question to you is, you present this argument that this is a thing. I thought it was a good argument. Um, is there you have any commentary on how that argument's going now or where you think it might go in the future? Do you think that there will be more more real world violence because of that line of thinking? Or is there a way of tamping that out right away that we're just not thinking of right now? When you conceptualize words as violence, then what you do is self-defense. And legally, you can kill in self-defense. I point that out yep. that out in the film. So they see what they're doing as a protective act rather than a, while they'll say it's preemptive. I mean, in your conversation with them, it's preemptive, but in the back of their mind, they're doing something benevolent. That's right. So it's dangerous. And violence begets violence. That's right. Yeah, I mean, that was my problem with it. You know, I tried pointing out. I mean, let me ask yeah. you what you think about this. Yeah. I tried pointing out to these folks um, when I had a chance to, in direct conversation with them, um, hey, Daryl Davis. You guys know who Daryl Davis is? Mm. The, the mm -hmm. black man that's, who has personally disrobed like yep. hundreds of KKK members through personal I've conversation. Heard of him. He's yep. amazing. He's done a TED talk. He's been on Rogan. He's definitely worth looking mm -hmm. into, mostly because what he does works. And what he does is he just respects the person in front of him and converses with them and says, look, you hate me and you've never even met me. What's up? And from that springboard of conversation, he then, you know, shows, literally becomes friends with people. He says he has become personal friends with people who were and even still are in some instances KKK white supremacists. He's a black man. He's a jazz musician. He has no formal training in any of this. He just decided to go do it. 
And I thought, now here's a guy who is somebody worth watching and following and paying attention to because this is how you do it. This is how, if you really want to change hearts and minds, this is how you do it. And I thought I wanted to get, you know, your input on that because I wondered, do you see any evidence of that kind of thing happening with the, with the, with the folks on the extreme ends of this? Is there a way of, in other words, is there a way that we can talk them down? Is there a way we can pull them back? Is there a way we can converse in a civil way? You know, are there entry points into this into this headspace? You know, to to do that work, and 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 is that work necessary? Is that a, is that even something that should be done? What do you think? Dash, do you look like you're <laughs> yeah? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, the, 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 there's a few things to. Um, unpack there mm -hmm. but let me start by saying absolutely this is this is work that needs to be done because if you don't do it um, you know we are going to walk into a um, incredibly incredibly difficult situation in the west and it may be a little too late I think we have plenty of time um, and Sam Harris said you know, you have a choice between conversation and violence. You know, you, 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 right now, the, the most powerful tool we have is conversation. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I think I did, um, you know, from Sri Lanka, we had a civil war for 28 years. Um, in 2012, I went back to Sri Lanka uh, to do some work for a uh, non-for-profit called Sri Lanka Unites. Um, and the work we did was inspired by a data set, which is 70% of Sri Lankans have not had a one meaningful conversation or a friend from the other. Uh, the majority of Sri Lankans are Sinhalese and the largest minority are Tamil. Uh, I am from the Sinhalese majority and it got me thinking, how many Tamil friends do I have? And I realized I don't. Uh, and it sort of startled me. I remember in my school, we had segregated classes. Um, and then the bulk of the work we did was to basically invite students, 500 old students uh, to one place um, and have a range of activities over five days with the intention of specifically letting them become friends and letting them have conversations. It started off with incredible resistance, you know, people you know, um, from single majority South uh, coming up to the North and having Tamil kids and refusing to share a room with a Tamil kid. Five days later, after, you know, lots of sports, lots of, uh, you know, singing and dancing together, they find their common humanity and then realize uh, okay, I, I, I didn't know the other because it's easy to otherize a person and right. hate them because, you know, they're not even human. Um, so one of the problems with, uh, you know, extreme thinking is you otherize and you, you, you're no longer hating a person, you're hating this other. So it is super important we have conversations. And the aim of the film is not to, uh, you know, go after the left or the right for that matter, but rather seeing point of, uh, points of view and their origins and what they may be able to do. And then hopefully you can take the information you just gathered 
And next time when you speak to somebody, you can have a better conversation because you have some grounding to where they're coming from. Right. Exactly. In other words, those kids got breakfast clubbed. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, you know, that's it. That's that you stick people that's in a room and you, and you make them talk to each other and suddenly they find out they're real it, people. It's very hard to hate somebody you've seen, interacted with. Um, I'll give one example, um, anecdotal. After um, that very tumultuous um, event I mentioned uh, where I spoke to Roxanne Gay, um, I was reached out to by a, a young lady. Um, she wanted some help. Uh, but she was captured by something I said uh, on stage. I was hosting this event and I said, you know, a lack of conversation led to over 100,000 of my people dying. Um, we can't let that ever happen again. Um, she reached out to me and she made an assumption and she asked for my help and I helped her um, you know, to my best ability. But the assumption she made was when I said my people, I meant Sri Lankans regardless of Tamil or Sinhalese, she made an assumption that I, ha I was either Tamil or Sinhalese and the help she wanted, she, you know, she thought I was Tamil. So she asked to help with uh, a dying uh, a former terrorist. Um, and I did help. And I, for me, I was helping another human being. You know, he may have a terrible history, but I was helping. And, and you know, I think, I don't think she'll, she'll, she'll ever watch this or hear this, I think she still thinks I'm Tamil, you know, uh, and, and the idea there was, again, when you appeal to the common humanity, like, I, I, I don't think even if she finds out now, I'm Sinhalese, will she hate me? I don't think so, because it's not something, uh, you, you, what I've done is not something that she would deem as the other will do. Right. Exactly. You break the stereotypes. Yep. And by breaking them, you break the thinking about stereotypes because they're presented with cognitive dissonance and they have to resolve it. And there it is right in their face. And when it's right in your face, it's a hell of a lot easier to be, to be in denial about it. It just yeah. is. It's yeah. just harder. Yeah. You know? yeah. What do you think, Kurt? I, uh, the, I, I have so many thoughts that it's difficult for me to... Put them in order. Okay. Let me let me see if I can do this. Okay. So, what is the question? Well, the question had to do with the um, the words or violence idea, right? And and how far is this going to go? Can we pull people back from this? Can we? Should we do that work? We brought up Daryl right, Davis. Right, right, right. Okay, right? okay. So the extreme left, they characterize themselves. So it's not just a straw man, as disliking logic and reason and so on. That's part of their postmodern influence. Mm. So then the question is, well, how do you converse with someone who doesn't believe in conversation? Sorry, who doesn't believe in conversation, who believes that the act of you speaking is an imposition of dominance on your part to there. Mm -hmm. And you're already in the, not the underdog, the opposite of the, the overdog position. So then that's tricky, right? Because see, this is one of the reasons why me and Desh disagree, because we disagree as to what the solution is. I imagine you're, Chris, on the side of Desh, where you would say that conversation is paramount, critical thinking is what will lead us to salvation. But I'm more of the position that conversation is 
by the way, what, what did you, what specific subfield of psychology are you studying? Coercive control. Okay. Okay. So there's a word called concomitant. It's from medicine. It's naturally accompanying. So I believe conversation is concomitant, but it's not a necessary precondition. And the reason is, well, here's one, like animals, some of our closest relatives can get along. They don't have articulated speech. They don't converse. So how do they do it? Well, one is you extend an olive branch, you show love, Mm -hmm. you, and now this is like, if you're a true hero, which I don't know who of us can claim to be though, this Daryl person seems to be one of them. If you show true love, then that means you're even willing to die for people who you dislike your enemies. Mm -hmm. And if you show that and you mean it, I think that's a, that's the actions are far more powerful than the words and the, the words are necessary because we're going to, we're going to have conflict somewhere. So where are we going to conflict? Are we going to conflict in physical space? That is with clashing fists and swords and guns or in verbal space with our words. And I do agree that yes. Yeah. You, you conflict with your words first Mm -hmm. or hopefully only, and you never conflict with your body. Well, while you might be able to appeal, not, you might not be able to appeal to their critical thinking or to their reason or logic because they already eschew it. They say so. It's not just you making fun of them. Then while they cannot be motivated by that, it's difficult for them not to be motivated by their evolutionary instinct. And that is, that is you demonstrate by your actions how you want the world to be. And people see that and hopefully they admire it. And hopefully they see you as someone who is not characterized by the demon inside that they think you are because of your race. It also could go the other direction where they, in the Cain and Abel example, they see it. They see your goodness. If you're, if you are motivated by goodness, they see your good acts as just more evidence that they're insufficient and they hate you more. So it could go the, in the opposite direction, but hopefully with friendship, like Desh mentioned, that's powerful, like mm-hmm. reaching out, even touching, shaking the hands of someone saying that you're wrong. Sorry, that, that I'm wrong. Sorry. When I'm speaking to you, I'm, I know that I'm wrong and I know that I'm pigheaded and I, I hope that I'm not coming across as so, so please, Show me where I'm wrong. I disagree with you, but look, you're a person. You've experienced way more than probably, like I've had a great and fairly easy life. So I, I imagine you haven't, and, and I'm sorry if I'm contributing to that. So how about we take it from here and, 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 and maybe we can create something loving based in truth, even though they reject truth. Right. It's a conundrum, isn't it? It's a real, it's a yeah. real brain twister trying to think this stuff, think this stuff through. I, I actually have a little bit of a middle road between both of you, just so you know, because um, pure logic and reason is not going, is not the way that you uh, bring somebody back from an emotional uh, cliff, and um, and I believe that extremism is an emotional cliff. It's it's driven by emotion, not reason or logic. Um, and I believe that the logic and reason that's utilized is more there to rationalize or justify the emotional and, you know, investment. 
that must be there in order to have the depth of feeling and and uh, extremism, you know, that, that, and belief in a thing. So you don't get there without emotion. Nobody coldly reasons their way to to that. You know, nobody coldly reasons their way to anything. This yeah. is and this is Demasio's work that you need emotion. So yeah. some people who say, yeah, yeah, facts over feelings. I actually, even though I bash the extreme left in the you know, I wouldn't say that I do takedowns like Ben Shapiro, but I don't agree with Ben Shapiro's facts over feelings. And I'm a mathematician. Yeah. Sorry. That's I'm right. not a mathematician. Like that's a huge honor. I've studied math and physics. Like okay. my background is science because you can't move. If you only believe in facts, the reason is you won't be able to assess the amount of data that you're inundated with rationally enough to move your finger or to enact, to make any enactment. So feeling is necessary. And you can see this with people who have frontal lobe lesions. Okay. Mm -hmm. You give them a choice between a red pen and a blue pen. Actually, right, right. You give them a choice between a red pen and a blue pen. They're immobilized because they're computing which one is best. That's right. You can tell them, okay, calculate this is square root of 3,255. And then they'll do so for hours or at least tens of minutes because they don't have a part of their brain that's emotional that they use as a heuristic to filter what's relevant and what's not. Correct. Exactly. And that is why emotion drives everything that we do. And that's why I know for a fact that you're not going to logic somebody out of a position if you do not first do exactly what I believe you described. If you do not show respect, if you do not show some degree of love. I mean, it doesn't have to be romantic love, but it certainly has to be respect. You, you, can't, you can't change a heart and a mind of somebody who believes that you hate them that believes that you don't have, that you don't like them, that you don't want to have anything to do with them because they're not going to open up to you in the first place. So you'll get nowhere. So, and you, I, and, you know, yeah. anyway, so Fair. I think these things are complementary. I don't think it's all one or the other. I think that there is a skill set involved in this. It's not something just everybody can do. And it requires, uh, you know, some emotional intelligence and sensitivity to know who you're right. talking to and, and, and how it's going. Because if it's going off the rails, you better be able to have enough empathy with the person to detect that. You know, that's kind of part of the, the process. So anyway, that's, that's where I live, though. But, but your film, I think, gives people um, some impetus and some drive and some initiative, some reason why we should do something about this. And that's why I appreciated watching it, because it, was, it gave me some information I didn't have before. And it presented it in definitely a more objective way than I have seen others do it. So I do want to thank you for putting it together. I think, we're, I think I'm trying to be uh, uh, aware of timing. I think we're going to have to wrap up in a minute. So I wanted to um, give you guys a chance, both of you, if you had anything else you wanted to end with as far as reasons why my viewers should watch your movie go to the site we will have the link in the description section here that you gave at the beginning of the show so you don't have to repeat all that but just any sort of final words on this subject well i'll add this um if you care about anything we've spoken about uh, and if you have any sort of worry about where western civilization is heading and if you feel as these kind of conversations need to be heard films like ours need to be at least be a mediocre success and the only way for it to be because we're not backed by large organizations studios etc 
entirely independently made and distributed. So the only way this would work is if you tell, if you watch it for starters, and if you get anything out of it, telling other people. Yeah. So humble request, consider this movie. If you like it, tell somebody else. Right. And to add on to what Desh is saying, it's not like we haven't had offers from certain yep. organizations. It's not like we've been inundated, but it's not like we haven't, let's imagine, I'm just going to make this up, but that the Koch brothers wanted to donate to us. Now, there's a part of us that's like, well, who cares where the money comes from? Because we're going to say what, what we want to say truthfully as best we can anyway. And it might even be, it might even work to our favor if we go say something anti-right winged and we were still given money by, the, by some organization that's considered to be a consummate example of the right. Well, we, we chose skillfully and difficultly to stay in the independent, independent route. So if you, if you like that, then please support it with, your, with sharing it. Please support it with money in the sense that you buy the film. And, and the best way, the absolute best way that you could support it is, and I mean this, don't mean to sound hokey, but it's, so uh, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm a proponent of. If you want the world to be in a certain way or viewpoint to be dominant, then you have to act in that way. And if you want to be liked or even loved, despite that you're a cis white male and you're considered to be the, the worst of the lot, then that means you have to love your enemy. And that means if you're someone who is black and you hate white people, that means despite the fact that you think white people spit at your face or behind your back at you, you still have to you still have to love them. And then here's, what's, here's what I'm toying with is that I'm wondering how much of that distaste for the other, as it's commonly called, is a distaste for self. And as much as I dislike the new age movement for saying, love yourself, I, I dislike that because of my own, I have my own personal grievances against that. But there is something to it and love yourself doesn't mean just be kind to yourself and self-care but there's something deeper it's not clear what love is like you mentioned as well like is it just romantic love is it friendship love is it love is love is tricky but hopefully you know it when you feel it and and perhaps much of our problems can be solved if we love one another but that also starts with loving oneself and then well there's much to be said about that for sure. Chris, I do. Yeah, Chris, before you go, I do have a question for you. Yeah, absolutely. Fire away. Okay. You said you watched the film twice. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious what you disagreed with most, and I'm curious what you liked the most. I, what I liked the most was what, and what I thought even was a little, was, was, was almost cute to me, was how you broke down modernism and postmodernism and that timeline and then thought you took too long doing it and it was too complicated for some people to understand because I thought it was beautifully presented in a very simple way. And I have, and I've watched through two, three hour lectures on that topic. So I've gone all the way down that rabbit hole and it, it can get complicated. And there's a lot of names and a lot of words and a lot of, you know, verbiage thrown around 
in modernism and postmodernism and understanding how it connects to the Enlightenment and how it un and understanding how it was an art movement as well as a cultural movement, a philosophical movement, etc. So you simplified that enormously, and I, I thought that was great. So major kudos to that. I thought that your summation of right-wing extremism was a bit simple, Simon. Uh, you know, white people are good, right? Is uh, Or however you summarize that. Um, fair enough. That is absolutely a core value of extreme alt-right thinking. But there are others, too. And there's, there's more depth to that than I think was given appreciation in the film. However, I didn't, I, I didn't particularly think that was, you know, some major catastrophe because of the theme and subject matter and orientation of the film. But I thought it was a little bit of a dishonest, you know, one versus the other sort of thing, because because the right's not simple, Simon, not really. And hey, man, if you have a more nuanced view of the right or you, you have some articles or papers, please send them my way because I wasn't able to uncover any. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. But maybe I'm just I didn't investigate it enough. I think if you dive into the evangelical end of things, you'll find other motivations and other reasonings going on over there than just white supremacy as a, yeah. as a, as a thought, as a belief set or as an ideology. I think it's mixed up with ideas of nationalism, patriotism. Um, I think they have confused ideas about those, about those concepts, but I think that those are mixed up in it. And I think that that has to do with national identity. There are identity issues there. But the identity politics of the right is a little bit uh, unanalyzed versus what uh, uh, versus the identity politics of the left. It's so That's much easier to see yeah. it on the left. So. Ah, oh, okay. I see. I see. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. That's my breakdown. Maybe that's blue number two. Better left unsaid number two. <laughs> there you go. Better right unsaid. <laughs> that's right. Better left. Oh, yeah, right. I did not catch that. <laughs> thank you for pointing out that double entendre. That was good. Okay, guys. Well, mm -hmm. thank you very much for taking the time to be on my show, for inviting, uh, sending me an invite through your folks to uh, talk to you. I very much enjoyed this, and I actually really honestly hope that we have the opportunity to do it again. Thank you, Chris. I, Thank you so much. I also enjoyed it, and I'm sure we'll talk again. Awesome, man. Okay, guys, see ya. Thanks, Chris. Okay, Bye -bye. and uh, let me just wrap up real fast on the show by saying, everybody, like the show, share the show, check out their movie, and if you like my podcast, you know, help me out on Patreon. Okay, guys, bye-bye.